Welcome back to another horror hookup brought to you by Friday the 13th Horror Podcast. Hey, everybody. If you've never been to a horror hookup before, this is the format. We get online with a actor, director, even podcasters sometimes, and then we just go through some of questions that we want to get to know them. Um, it's pretty simple. We hope you're going to enjoy it because this is a real special one. Yeah. Today we have none other than Jesse Walsh himself, Mark Patton. Mark, how are you? I'm fine, thank you. Like, is this a grinder hookup or a tender <laughs> hookup? Or we'll see where like... the conversation takes us. Okay, good. <laughs> like, I've got my best dress on, so I'm like, I'm all ready to. to I mean, fun. Mark, like, come on. It's not like we both didn't have crushes on you when we first saw Nightmare Two. So, like, <laughs> oh my god, I think I think you know the deal here, for God's sake. Oh well, you know, I've I've learned it, and I, you know, and I and I've actually learned to to revel in it. You know, it's. Um, it's sweet, you know, it's That's very awesome. sweet. And so, hey, Mark, so, um, of course, we, we're having you on today because you are having this new resurgence with a documentary coming out called Scream Queen, My Nightmare on Elm Street. And we have not yet been able to see the documentary, although we are so excited to see it at the end of this month at the Reeling Film Festival here in Chicago, where Friday the 13th is based. Um, one thing that we have definitely seen, though, is the trailer for the film. And there's a really, there's, there's actually, there's more than a few interesting uh, little tidbits that I took out of it right away when I saw it. And one of the first that I want to talk about is um, the director from Nightmare on Elm Street 2. Um, and in the trailer, there's a little clip of him talking, um, you know, just whenever the, the, doc, the doc was filmed, which I believe was just a couple years ago. Um, right. And he says, it's time to let it go. And so, Mark, we know that the upcoming release of Scream Queen is going to have, um, it's going to shine a real light, you know, on your career, um, on Nightmare 2, on the genre, um, on your own life, of course. Of course. And, and um, you know, it, the, the director of, of Nightmare 2 exhorting that you need to let it go. Can you tell our listeners what on earth he's even talking about? Oh, absolutely. I think, well, first of all, I, I want to say to you and your listeners that, uh, that you're going to love this documentary. It is, um, it really is, you know, of course it's mine, but I mean, it, it is really spectacular and it is, uh, a deep dive into, um, I think anybody, you know, Nightmare on Elm Street brings you in the door, but if you've ever been bullied or put down or, really wanted to reset the table uh, i'm offered the opportunity to, to do that in wow. this in this documentary and it it didn't begin as a it wasn't supposed to be about my life it uh it was there was a different concept altogether when we when we really began and slowly but surely it really did become all about me 
and um, me as the everyman. And Jack, we're, you know, Jack does some really heavy duty hitting on me, I have to say. And, mm. uh, you know, I travel with Jack. Uh, a lot. And he, I will say over the course of the last year has had quite an epiphany. Uh, but he's a 75 year old Jewish man who uh, is a college professor and a film director. And, you know, he's a perfect example of mansplaining. It's like, here, let me wow. tell you what you're feeling and why you should feel this way. And you're making me uncomfortable. So shut up, wow. you know, and David, the writer is a completely and utterly different form of that, but absolutely actually more toxic um hmm. and and if you and if you've ever but you'll get that ex, well you'll see the experience when you have the film but it sure. really is first of all it's fun it starts out you know really fun and then we have a third act and really a fourth act too that is uh, um you know because it gets shakespearean at one point where you just like kind of like going you know go 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 ahead and sure, say what sure. you're gonna say you know so and uh it was very healing for me um, and, you know, very cathartic. The whole experience has been and continues to be as, you know, we've been in, I think we've been in seven cities so far because wow. uh, we were, we're our official uh, debut is at Fan Fantastic Fest in Austin, Texas on the 22nd of September, which is sure. my birthday, which is exciting. And awesome. uh, a, yeah, it's like a big party. Um, they, I have a seminar in the morning, and then they show the film in the e afternoon, evening, and then there's a big drag ball that is being hosted by Peaches Christ. And I mean, it's a full-on, you know, dra uh, extravaganza. How cool is that? My yeah, goodness. Yeah, our spot last year uh, was Halloween. We're the tent pole for this entire um, experience. So that's really, really exciting. And then we go on a really a world tour. I mean, we're, uh, we're on, I'm on the road for... I think 30 cities in a row uh, and it's not finished yet. So uh, yeah. And the response is, but we've been at, we were in Toronto. Uh, we did frame line in San Francisco at the Castro theater on gay pride. Uh, wow. And that just was completely rocky. And we did, we played uh, Grauman's Chinese theater in, um, in Los Angeles for Outfest. And then we also did uh played the museum of contemporary art there because we keep getting split into high art and you know camp hmm. um so you'll see when you see it in chicago i'm really hoping that they find a way in chicago because that theater is not really very big for uh where it's shown and sure, they sure. they're happy that it's intimate i i hope they find their way to make another screening you know at least one more available because i think probably it's already sold out but please check you know but i think it's I think the tickets are already gone. I think they went as soon as it was announced. So, um, but I would, and if we don't, you know, and if they don't and they can't, then I certainly want to make a swing back through Chicago and, uh, and play one of the bigger theaters where we could really bring the, you know, uh, the people of the town in and, you know, perhaps play Nightmare on Elm Street 2 and, oh, uh, God. and, and Scream Queen at the same time. So would that yeah. not be just a fun freaking night my goodness. we should do it together if we if our needs are not met this time let's make a point of getting together and getting them met because it's an easy lift you know in chicago a theater is easy and we know lots of people there so maybe we'll just plan on that if oh yeah if, if people can't get in the show but i know you're getting in so I'm we are writing that <laughs> down right now we're gonna make that happen if we need to and all of that being said too 
we're quite glad you're not letting it go because this is going to be absolutely awesome. Yeah. Well, you know, if you have to, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, no. Don't go let ahead. Me well, do you, do, you all, do you all know who uh, Dustin Lance Black is? Oh, of yeah. Course. For sure. Okay. So, um, and um, I have been on that path for, for quite some time. Uh, the same road that Dustin has been on, and um, and, and just in it, case for folks for folks that might not know Dustin Lance Black, Dustin Lance Black is a writer. He wrote, for example, Milk, the movie, which is fantastic. If you have not seen it, yes, and he's a, and he won the Academy Award for that. Um, and he also is a um, still gotcha. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, for sure. Okay, um, they uh, he won the Academy Award for that, and at the Academy Awards, he pronounced that gay marriage would. Be be because uh, uh, Prop 8 had just happened mm-hmm. in sure. California. And he made a promise that nationally we would have gay marriage within a certain amount of time. And, uh, you know, the old guard really just sort of turned on him and said, oh, you can't make promises like that. But of mm-hmm. course, he quit. He left his film business for a number of years and went on the road. And he set up the committee that actually pleaded the case in front of the Supreme Court, which made oh, gay yeah. marriage legal in the United States. So he took his power, you know, and uh, and then he's since done some really fabulous pieces also of, um, you know, When We Rise and all those. I think he has a memoir coming out right now. Hmm. But I, th- not on that level, maybe or maybe not, but that's the road that I've been on, the uh, using uh, sure. pop culture as a political tool uh, to tell a story and he's a storyteller. I'm a storyteller. And to be able to stand up and tell your story and say, it's really super important right now for us to know our story, to know what our stories are and, and to honor them, to remember them, to talk to younger people and, uh, say like, this is how you forearm yourself because this is not a, our gay rights or, uh, LGBT rights are not finite it's a generational it will be going on for generations and generations and we we get to celebrate and have fun and all that kind of stuff but we also have to have our warriors and our lawyers and our our people out there protecting and leading the way for the generation that'll come next and next and next and so i'm very committed to that i'm super super committed to a younger generation of people and uh, like teaching them the ropes. And that's, that's my calling, I think, at this point. So Awesome. Yeah. I think that we, it, you're, you're a perfect fit for one of these because in our normal episodes, we do split our time between horror in real life and horror in the media. So having someone on here that's fighting for those rights is, is really powerful, and we appreciate um, you uh, taking the time to do it. Um, oh, thank I, you. I do have to cover, you know it, okay. we have to have oh, a couple questions about it <laughs> um, for our listeners to uh, talk a little bit about Nightmare on Elm Street, but it, I want to talk about it more from like your experience and, and the cast, and I know that you had originally um, auditioned for the original and um, didn't get it, but you were the first choice really when they did the callback for the sequel. Um, how, how did that make you feel that, you know, initially it was not, not really a failure, but a letdown, and then then you get not only a role in the second movie, but you also get the lead role. Well, the thing is, you know, like, first of all, I want to say about talking about Nightmare on Elm Street. One of the things that uh, I was taught when I was really young is uh, uh, my friend Benet Brown says this a lot is like, you got to dance with the one that brought you, you know, and, yeah. and Nightmare on Elm Street's what brought me to the party. 
Mm-hmm. That's what brought me to the conversation. So I'm always glad to talk about it. You know, I mean, and, and I love it. I mean, I actually love the movie. And, um, you know, I was thrilled to be in it. And I was very proud. I screen tested with Heather for the first uh, film. And, you know, of course, Johnny Depp got the part that I got. And, of course, nobody knew who Johnny Depp was at that time. Right. So, um, you know, but I guess I think Wes's daughter liked him is how the story <laughs> went. But she chose Johnny. So, um, and then, you know, and then it really wasn't even on my radar, to be honest with you. Um, I really wasn't a horror movie fan. Um, that's something that, you know, I learned to like or love later in life. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was just, I was just a working actor and that was really just another job. So when I did audition for, uh, Freddie's Revenge and I was cast, it was very quick. I mean, literally it was like about five days from my first audition till I was in pre-production. Wow. And that means they're cutting your hair and styling you for, um, and it was so fast that I didn't really get to do the things that I normally would do on a film set, like, you know, help select your hand props and all that kind of stuff, which, um, you know, are really important to actors and, um, you know, your look and everything. So it was so fast that I didn't really get to keep control of what, I wanted to. And, uh, you know, we were shooting and filming because I, you know, obviously I've had a lot of time to think about it since it was over with, but I, I, uh, I would have played Jeff, Jesse completely, completely differently. Oh, wow. Had I, um, had I, um, had, had the script been finished first of all, and had it been a real, but David was writing that script as we went along. So whenever, and it's, you know, shot out of sequence. So he didn't think anybody was picking up on his uh, subtext as he mm-hmm. likes to call it, or just let's call it text. They didn't, nobody was picking <laughs> up on it because it was out of sequence, you know? And the only person who was really keeping track of it was my makeup artist and myself, because we had to, he had to keep me, you know, um, looking correct for all of the scenes I was in. And I'm in every scene in that movie. So, uh, so he was starting to put a map up of my looks and, you know, he was the first one that said to me, mm, I don't know, um, hmm. you know, like Robert was going to put the glove in, you know, when he caresses my face and all that kind of stuff, which sure. is a big deal in the, in the documentary. Danny said to me, you know, that we were shooting and he said, uh, Robert said, can I put the blade in your mouth? And I'm sure what, you know, whatever, I don't, I don't really care. I, I trust you. And Danny stopped the shooting on the pretext of fixing my makeup and said, you can't do that. It'll wow. look like you're, it'll look like you're blowing him and you'll never live it down. Wow. So, so I said, okay, I'm on pass. And then, um, and so, you know, they were very respectful, but honestly, I don't think anybody really knew except for Robert England and Robert Russler. Um, and Robert Russler definitely knew. And uh, and I didn't really until we were shooting. Uh, the I realized the night we were shooting me running like sort of naked through the street, which I wish they would have had me naked. I mean, I had the whole street. You know what I mean? like, the police said I was naked. You know, they should have had me naked. Um, we we I'd, wish I'd the like, same. I'd, I'd like to have that film now. So right. There was already a butt in it. And having another one well, wouldn't be a big deal. <laughs> oh, you know what? It's so funny because, you know, now with uh, 4D and all that kind of stuff, I mean, it's like literally stop frame. Like if you, I get pictures all the time from people who are like, <laughs> you know, they 
can really get right in there. So <laughs> very funny. You know, it's kind of very funny. And it's also, I tell people when they come to see me, they always say, oh, I have, you know, I have your picture on my wall. And I was like, and I, cause I have an older brother. So I'd always say, well, where, where did you hang the poster at the head of the bed or the foot of the bed? And, you know, they say foot of the bed. And I, you know, tag team them because I knew why those posters <laughs> were at the end of the bed. Cause I don't know <laughs> so, and I get the videos a lot, which are broken, you know, and whenever it's, it's like the, the guy will bring it and you say, it's, well, it's broken, but I really love it. And I'm, I could tell you exactly where it's broken. You know, cause <laughs> it's been stopped so many times, but you know, that's, that's kind of a pleasure too. So it's kind of sweet. You know, I was, I was a pretty boy, so like, <laughs> nothing to be ashamed of there. Well, we, we still think you're pretty Mark. So that's just the way that it is. And Mark, too, you know, when you were preparing to play Jesse, that had to be difficult in a lot of ways and in the way that it's difficult to prepare for any role that you're about to play. Um, And when you were preparing for Jesse, can you tell us a little bit about what that process was like? I mean, especially knowing now that from casting to pre-production, it was only five days. Like, did you have any rehearsal time? Were you able to spend any time in deep preparation to get ready to play Jesse? Well, we had, you know, we were in pre-production. I I went into pre-production. I didn't start shooting for another, I think, three weeks or four weeks or something like that, which, you know, is a very short amount of time. I mean, you generally have much more time than that. Sure. Um, But, you know, it's like I had, like, we had the practical things to do. I mean, I had to, they had to build all those models of me. And, like, that was, you know, basically being buried in concrete on many, many different days, you know, to make those live casts, which are, fabulous and i was trying to figure out really what was going on because there's a lot of uh technical stuff that's going down in there that like is really really super important and uh the film crew is trying to figure out how they're going to shoot it and the model makers trying to figure out how he's going to make it and i'm trying to figure out how i'm going to play it and everybody's really nervous you know because it's going to take all of us to pull that off and then the shopping for wardrobe you know, which was, you know, I got a lot of money for my clothes in that. I shopped at Fred Siegel and wow. I think I shopped the entire budget. But <laughs> like, like I, but then, like I said, you know, had I had a little bit more time with the script, I would have actually played Jesse completely different. First of all, I had shoulder length hair at the time oh, and wow. I wouldn't have let them, I wouldn't have let them cut it. I would have kept my hair really long and I would have also dressed basically in black and um, I would have like, had a lot of Smith's music playing because I feel yes. like that would really go kind of fabulous with Jesse. And then, um, you know, and then have uh, like like so many things they miss, which seems so stupid to me now. But people after I, I would I would love to direct a version of Nightmare on Elm Street, not particularly Nightmare on Elm Street, too, but uh, like a horror movie like that, like something like uh, Closet Monster. Sure. Um, because, because, well, the Closet Monster director was very attracted to Nightmare on Elm Street 2. I mean, it's an answer to Nightmare on Elm Street 2 and uh, Connor Jessup and all that kind of stuff. So, um, and if you haven't seen Closet Monster, boys and girls in the audience, get it right now. Go, You can get it for free <laughs> on YouTube and watch the whole thing. It's an amazing horror movie. It won 2015 TIFF and then it just disappeared. I mean, people oh, don't wow. know about it. But it's fabulous. And it's got one of the most fragile and electric seduction scenes in it that I've ever seen. It's like <laughs> in the tree, in the tree house. Uh, so watch that. But I would like to do that. Like I would have had Jesse, like, first of all, like sleeping in the closet, number one, 
I mean, you know, like he was afraid to sleep in his room. So I, I put him in the closet so his mother could come and try to drag him out of the closet. You know? <laughs> I mean, if you're going to go for that subtext, like go for it. You know I mean, I mean j- just be awesome. sure when he comes out of the closet, grab the probe game up on the top Ex- shelf. Exactly. Or don't get in the probe game because like in my mind, like people are always like, oh, it's the probe game. Like, I'm actually putting together a package. I might have one in Chicago for somebody that wants to buy them. But they're, um, I put together the probe kit, what, actually, <laughs> what is actually in the probe box. And it's that's not the amazing. probe game. Right. So that's, <laughs> that's Jesse's secret stash, right? So, um, so we had, I had a line of, uh, of uh, I don't want to give away too much, but I had a line of condoms made, which are really, really fun. <laughs> and... Uh, and some postcards and uh, and a special lube, then pictures of me and Grady that go in that box. Oh wow! And, oh, and, my and, God. You know, it's like, and it's just a little collectible thing, but we, it's very clever once you get inside of it, like the names of everything. And so I won't spoil the surprise because you'll see one in Chicago. But yeah, so the, I always thought that's that's Jesse's secret box up there. If you really want to probe his brain, it's not probing. <laughs> not probing his bottom it's probing his brain that's most, that's most important so and of course i've changed all the posters in the room the room everything would have been different and i would have danced like crispin glover i would have like, oh, yeah. done like you know instead of disco i would have done an electroshock therapy kind of mode but that's another movie it would have been a different movie and you know they really did encapsulate the 80s pretty good man i have to say i the dance is you know um everybody's kind of favorite thing and of course i hated it but that's really the that's really the way people danced in the 80s i was like a really good dancer you know so every everyone closed their drawers with their butts that's just what of they course, did they, they still do and now i find thousands and thousands of people still do because they send me <laughs> pictures of them doing it you know so i get a lot of pictures from people who are like hi i'm cleaning my apartment and i'm touching myself and I'm <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I was watching um, the Never Sleep Again documentary, and they had said that you really didn't want to do that scene, and you kind of delayed it as long as you could. Um, now that it's kind of taken shape, and it's kind of become like a pop culture thing, and it's I've seen it played in many a gay bar, uh, how do you kind of feel about it now? Is it, Are you more like accepting of it, or are you more like just like take it uh, by the cheek, you know? Well, that's why, you know, it's like, I think that's why it's fun to do a documentary and have talk-alongs and playbacks on films because then you get to clarify the scene that I didn't want to play I didn't play the way that it was written I didn't it was not done that way we didn't Hmm. film it that way it was it was written for me to do a funky chicken oh god with pencils in my nose you know that (laughs) I could have two pencils in my nose and I would be doing the funky chicken and that was the scene that I would wouldn't do I just said, no, that's stupid. You know, I don't want to, first, I don't want to stick pencils in my nose. And <laughs> I don't think he would be doing the funky yeah, chicken. Why, this, why would yeah. Jesse do that? That makes no sense. Right. So I said, and Jack said, well, what do you want to do? And I said, I can dance. And he said, okay, do you need I'll a choreograph it myself? <laughs> I did. Oh, I, I was very showgirls about the whole thing. It's like, no, I don't need a dance master. I'll do it myself. And when I did it, I was actually dancing to um, uh, Tina Turner's private dancer is what I'm actually dancing to. So if you sync it up to Private Dancer, that's what I'm dancing to. Oh, interesting. And and also a little bit of Steel Claw, which um, I think is like a fabulous... And if I was redirecting Nightmare on Elm Street 2, that would be that would be the theme song. Um, it, uh, Steel Claw, if you know that song. And, mm-hmm. also, awesome. and also, I Want to Tear You Apart, 
which uh, I think yeah. you know would be really fabulous for that. I've actually done a video of that with Nightmare on Elm Street that I edited, which was really fun. Oh, nice. You know, I've, yeah. I gotta say too, you mentioning the Smiths earlier. Like now, I've got a fantasy of Jesse Jan- like dancing on his own to the Smiths, and it's like kind yeah. of like really cute and sweet and kind of like dark and stormy and i love that so right little that's in little my head too mascara under his eyes <laughs> cries where he cries for grady because he'll never have him you oh. know just oh. <laughs> and uh he weeps over his death robert's so great you know robert is uh robert russell who played grady is a very good friend of mine and awesome. um he you know is like he just buys into the whole concept it's like so fabulously i mean he has three teenage boys and you know like fathers of teenage boys get like really protective of themselves and he just like completely owns it you know like when they when people talk to him they say like well when did you realize it was a gay movie and he's like the minute i read the script and uh, (laughs) you know and and i said something to him about us because we get requested even more than Kim and I do. I mean, Kim and sure. I get requested a lot of places, but a lot of people now in Europe, especially, want Robert and I to come together. And um, and I and I and I always say something to him about, oh, they want us to be. And he's like, we've always been a couple, haven't we? I mean, like since. <laughs> the, and he really did, you know, like when we were filming and stuff. He really did protect me a lot. Oh, and, so, and so, you know, speaking of that, like we we know that you know you and Kim, you said before that. Like when you first met her, she was just absolutely adorable. And, you know, we know that Robert and you have this great bond, especially from, you know, working on the movie together. Like, what was that? What was that like working together on the film? Because it looks like all of you were just having a ball. Like, are, oh, we, and we, we know that you're like, you're so close with Robert, but are, are you and Kim still close? It's like, what was oh, the yeah. environment both on the film and even today? What does that look like? Well, when we played Outfest, for example, um, um, they did a red carpet and Entertainment Tonight came. And every person from Nightmare on Elm Street came. Every star of every movie came. And the supporting players, everybody showed up. Robert England came and um, did a Q&A with me. And, you know, he just doesn't do other people's stuff. And, uh, you know, sat me down and gave me a nice Robert lecture about, you know, the most fabulous act third act in the history of the world. And people were going to offer me movies and I needed to take them because, you know, I needed to not complete that journey. So that's really, really sweet. Kim, I stayed with Kim and her family. I had a beautiful mm-hmm. hotel at the athletic club in downtown Los Angeles. And I stayed with Kim and her oh, family because nice. I love them and they love me. And, uh, um, and Robert's the same. And then they're coming for my birthday in, in, Austin, and oh, they're going to show us in Elm Street. Yeah, they're showing, and they're, then we're also going to go to Fort Lauderdale together. So whenever I ask them to come someplace, they always show up. And it's cool. like uh, Eric, Kim's husband, always says, you know, if it wasn't they, Kim didn't love me the way that she does and care for me, she wouldn't do any of this because it's no. just not her her thing. You know yeah. what I mean? She's she's a very specific kind of beautiful woman who, you know, is not into horror films and is not. Um, you know, just she lives a very particular kind of beautiful life and she interrupts that life and comes out with me and she always has a good time. But, um, you know, but it's like, it's it's through the graciousness of her, you know, yeah. our friendship. It's yeah. not like and a natural all, thing for her. Yeah, Marshall and I are friends. Uh, the only people that I would say that I'm not friends, I mean, I'm friends, with, I would say I'm friends with Jack, right? But uh, Jack, you know, like Jack and I were, 
Jack still hasn't seen the movie and mm-hmm. the, the documentary. And the reason he hasn't is because we want him to see it in a movie theater. And, um, and, but we were invited to go to Copenhagen together. And he, he was, it's a, a film director series. Mm-hmm. And they invited him to come and speak at this thing in Copenhagen. And, um, and it's about queer cinema. And, <laughs> and they requested me to come and to show the movie. And we got this, we gave, I, I can't go because I booked someplace else on those days. And it's just, I mean, I'm so booked up that I can't even go to Sweden. That's how, how good it <laughs> wow. is, right? But I don't want him to see that movie because I, I think he's ill-prepared yeah. um, to even speak about what they've asked him to speak about. I don't think he has. It's yeah. It's out. It's way out of his depth. I think myself from t- touring with him, and it's kind of just a setup where he'll get himself in a lot of trouble in a public way. That yeah. I really would, and I really want to be there. But I mean, honestly, I I just can't. And I yeah. can't say to him, "Don't go." And I can't say, "You can't have the movie." But I actually think we're going to like put it in his way that he actually should um, that he should watch the film before. Uh, just on his own. Uh, that would be smart, I think. Yeah, because I don't think it's because it's very emotional. I mean, it's like, and it's, um, you know, so I don't want him, I don't want him, uh, I don't want him hurt in any way. Just like yeah. I didn't, like I didn't want David hurt in any way, you know, the writer. I just never, you know, and I could have done a number on him that would have been, you know, I could have set him on fire so easily. <laughs> um, but, but I didn't want to do that. You know, and I re- I mean, I really, really didn't, you know, so, um, and I wanted him to be able to redeem himself some way. And I'll, and I won't tell you whether he does or not. Uh, Interesting. Yeah. But, uh, but he gets his chance. Let's, let's put it that way. Put it so, that way. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, so. More Nightmare on Elm Street? You want to talk yeah, about I just have one last thing that will kind of easily lead us into talking about Scream Queen. Um, and I think that a lot of people already know this, but just for our listeners, you know, what was your reaction when, you know, you went through this whole movie-making process? It's really quick. You know, you don't get to prepare the way you want to. And But at the end of the day, you know, you're proud of the movie when you're because everybody that makes something, and, I think, and, is... And you're also a star of the movie. Right. So wh- yes. what does that feel like when, you know, it kind of goes out into the ether and you start to hear back some of these more negative reactions to the film. Okay. Well, first of all, I want to say you have to set it up correctly. So first of all, Nightmare on Elm Street 2 was a huge hit. Mm -hmm. Uh, I mean, a huge hit. Like, great reviews from the New York Times, the London Times. Pull them up. Janet Maslin. I mean, front page of the New York Times. We were going up against A-list movies, and they used us as an example of a lead actor who can really carry a film. Wow. Um, we made a lot of money. We made 10 times our budget in the opening weekend. Uh, it wasn't until later that the, the backlash part of this began for me. What I, but I did, I saw it for the first time in, at MGM in Los Angeles with my agents in an industry screening. And, you know, it's an IMAX theater and I used to, I used to have all kinds of really pat answers that I would answer. You know, I'd mm-hmm. say like, "What people? Th- what'd you think?" Oh, I thought, you know, "Whoa, it's great that I'm a movie star or whatever." Yeah, <laughs> uh, it wasn't my first time of seeing myself on the screen, so I have to say that, right? Um, so I knew what I looked like, and I had had that experience with Altman and some other people. So, but honestly, the the thing that I thought, uh, the first thing I thought when it was over was. 
oh my God, um, everybody's going to know I'm gay. Yeah. And I just destroyed my career. Mm. And by, and literally by trusting fools, you know, and that's what comes through. And I don't really say this in the documentary, but nobody, and it's what the documentary is really about is like, nobody knew what they were doing. Like yeah. if you ask any of them, they don't, nobody takes responsibility for anything. It's like, I really began to think that nobody had read the script wow, and that some fan phantom person had shot it because the directors, the producers, all of them were just absolutely clueless. And, and I was like, you know, I had worked with world-class directors. So I was, you know, I was supposed to be playing the all American boy, right? That was the hurdle for me, like just to appear in my mind, my psychosis, right, was to appear normal. Like I could do any freak that you wanted. You know, this is this is what's playing out in my mind, right, at the time, as a poor, tortured little child. <laughs> but what I couldn't play was just that normal guy that everybody saw me as and everybody mm. loved me as as I was growing up. I didn't think I could play that, yeah. right? And I didn't think it could come across on the screen. And at that particular time, so I trusted these people. I trusted Jack as a director. I trusted David as a writer. I trusted the producers to protect me because I'm an entity in and of myself and I deserve to be protected, mm -hmm. right? And they didn't. They threw me right into uh, a nightmare. You know, wow. first of all, when they realized there was going to be a big hit, they took all, I have a press deal with them where I was supposed to be able to do all my own press and then I could shape the story, right? Sure. They took it all away from me and gave it all to Robert because oh, they didn't wow. know that Freddie was a star, you know? So all of a sudden I was left with no press tour so that I could set know, the bail myself. Yeah. Well, bail myself out, you know, yeah. so that people, that people could see me as Mark, not as Jesse. Sure. And, you know, it's like, but that's showbiz. You know, it's like you gambled. I'm thrilled I did it. Um, um, and I did, you know, you can see in my career, it's, it's, I have had a very interesting career and um, that my career just stops. You know, mm -hmm. you don't, you don't see any claw marks of me trying to hold on. Right. <laughs> I mean, it's not like no, no movies of the week, no like two liners or anything. It's just like literally one day I was there and I was a star and the next day I was gone. Wow. And it's because I, because I chose to leave. And my entry back into the the business is exactly the same way. It's like one day I wasn't there, and the next day I am there, full blown. Mm -hmm. sure, sure. It's like you know, it's like it's fantastic. So I just think it's kind of all meant to be. So I accept it for what it is. Yeah, you know. So I, I got a personality for sure. So and I know <laughs> how to and I know how to present it. You know what I mean? I was good at what I did, and and I can be good at it again. Just but but you know, framing it in a different way and also hanging it on a different, you know, I just can't like let it hang on, you know, I'm a beautiful young boy, which at that time I could, right? you know, sure. that you could just be that beautiful guy and you could sort of flow through. Now I'm totally happy. I'm a grown up man and everything, but I, and I'm very happy with the way I look and all of that kind of stuff, but I'm not a beautiful young boy anymore. And so I don't get to play those Parts. I have to step into something else. And I've been trying to see if I can do that. You know what I mean? I, I've mm -hmm. dabbled around. Now I'm, I go to shoot a movie in Portland uh, next week, I think, actually. It's called One Dead Dog. And um, it's a serious 
dive back into show business. So, oh, cool. Uh, yeah, so it's going to be fun. It's about two brothers who are serial killers. And, oh, that's awesome. Yeah, it's kind of like a little codependent relationship. So that's all I can say about it. But it's going to be fun, and I'm shooting it in uh, Portland. Uh, fun. Yeah, so right well, before. You're, you're a busy down. guy these days. <laughs> oh, my God. I, you know, it's like I'm on the road. I have 37 events from September 22nd until January. Oh, my and then they're all, God. And, so I mean, much. they're in all parts of the world. I mean, it's like a full-on press junket. You know, and awesome, literally though. they're just starting to add Europe in now. So we have requests from Australia, Brazil, I mean everywhere in the world. Literally. That's After so we cool. did Frameline, when Scream Queen did Frameline, we had a hundred offers the next morning. Basically. Wow. Yeah. And like we have very serious agents and lawyers and all that kind of stuff. I mean we're prepared sure. for, you know, what we're where we're taking this particular film. That's which so is cool. our desire is to take it right into the movie theaters. And uh and uh, for it to be a, have a, a theatrical release, which then allows it to be uh, considered for all different kinds of prizes and awards and things like that. But you have to make that leap. If you can't make that leap, then you're not you're not you're not considered for those things. Right. And we would. And, you know, and they say, like, I don't want to talk like about like Academy Awards or those kind of things. But yeah, we use that as an example. Right. Mm-hmm. There 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 will be, say, six films nominate six documentaries nominated for academy awards five slots go to the major movie studios and only one slot is available for somebody like us and that's almost in every film festival in the world so you're trying to slide yourself into that shoe is a process but we've got we are confident enough now that we can at least that we've been invited to the party you know so we've been invited to, to be in that lane and so we're flipping over from you know the the sidecar lanes of film festivals, which in the gay section, moving right into the mainstream competition. Sure. And, you know, cause people who have never seen nightmare on Elm street have seen this film. And it's just like, I never, I didn't know. I had no, no idea. idea. Yeah. And I don't know anything about gay people and I don't know anything about anything, but you know, this is a fabulous movie. <laughs> I just <feel> like, <laughs> you know, and that's what you want, you know, you want it to be, you know, for everybody to see it. And then of course we want to be on, Whoever gives us the most money, we want to right. you know, have Netflix. Amen to that. And you know, like the money's good. That money's a good thing because it just cost a lot of money to do this. And also, you know, we were graciously we were crowdfunded by our fans for the tune of sixty thousand dollars, and that really wasn't a much for us. No, you know, not at all. I mean, Especially the, given the all the travel you guys have bigger. to do for it. Oh well, now it's it's amazing because we are. Well, first of all, we're pretty graced with people pay our way to things, like uh, which is odd, you know. I mean, when we were first starting, we we were like, oh, you know, we only got four hotel rooms and eight plane tickets and this and this, and and then our friends who are really in this world, they were like, we don't get anything, you know. Most yeah. people don't get anything. They don't get a hotel room. They don't get a plane ticket. They just get, you know, to come mm-hmm. and two tickets. So all of a sudden we were like, oh my gosh, well, we better wise up to the fact that we're really blessed here. So, you know, so, and we are, you know, just they, people treat us very generously. We're coming, this is, we're coming to Chicago on our own because, uh, because we wanted to be there. Cool. Well, we're glad you're coming. We we cannot wait to have you here. Oh, and, and, you know, and, it's, when we do this thing at the cell block, I don't know if you, you know, you guys know about this, right? We're having this yes, party. Yes, yeah. We'll, party. we'll plug it at the end. <laughs> okay. Well, I was going to say, if for all of you, um, 
I wrote a book about Nightmare on Elm Street 2. And, um, and it's actually what it's called. It's called Jesse's Lost Journals. And it's the subtext of Jesse. And it's what he's thinking as he goes through the movie. So it's like Nancy's Diary, which never yeah. existed. Well, this is Jesse's Lost Journal that never existed. And it goes all the way through the movie. And midway through is where the movie ends. And Jesse picks up his own life. And uh, what happens to Jesse after. Huh. Yeah. Wow. And where he, well, he and Freddie go to New York together. And they have <laughs> okay. But, uh, you know, yeah, but I'm going to be reading from that book in, uh, yes. in, at, at the cell block. I'm going to do a little five minute read and it's Jesse gets laid a lot and he has, <laughs> yes. and he has a fabulous wardrobe and you know, like he's like, he, he rocks it, you know, he does. Okay. And then he meets me. I meet him. He meets Mark, the actor, Jesse Walsh. Um, and it's our story together, me and Jesse traveling together. Interesting. And it's fun. Yeah. So, um, so, and you guys, and I'm going to have it for purchase and I, encourage everybody to buy it because that's how i'm going to pay for our trip so yeah. if you <laughs> awesome. come to the cell block buy a little copy and you know we're doing a thing for the uh for the walkathon or aids by the aids walk uh-huh. yeah 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 um and i'm a big fan of howard brown and uh, um, howard brown is a gem in chicago it's actually where i get all of my health care well you know me too i mean when i was there that's where i went and um, and they were just you know because I have healthcare in Mexico, which is you know great, and um, you know we don't we don't pay for HIV medicines here, so it's you know it's always a shock to realize they actually cost incredible. Um, That's how it you should know. be. Well, when I first when I w- first went, came here to go to you know go to the doctor, I said to the doctor, well, they were like here, you know, this is your medicines, and I've said, well, I'll compare it to what I would pay for in the U.S. and then I'll choose a cheaper route, and mm-hmm. and they were like, uh, and they laughed at me kind of sweetly and said, we don't charge for HIV medicines in this country. They're they're a right to people. You know, every woman that is impregnated gets an HIV test in the, in Mexico. Sure. So they can save her baby, you know, because if you like, if you're don't know you're HIV positive and you're pregnant, they can give you some AZT and your child will be born without HIV. It's very cheap. And, um, and they've got it down and they're doing a really good job. You might have to wait in line for a while. Sure. <laughs> but, you know, you know, everybody, they have this weird thing where on the blood test day, everybody has to come together. So, yeah. so you line up and you all get your blood work done together. And it might be 500 people. But the thing is, it's really interesting because I lived in a small town. I live in a small town now. You know, everybody who has HIV in your town. Sure. And you get to see how it really is everywhere. And then, but people have engaged in their own private dance like you might see somebody out on the street and you just don't you don't speak to them like you know them because you're not supposed to know them and how would you know them because that veil of privacy is there and i had to oh yeah yeah i had to learn to respect it and say that they're not in the closet they're like there's very little privacy space here and it's up to them whether they want to share their story with anybody else and a white guy walking up to them and saying hey you know hey sister what's up it's like yeah exactly and when he's a farmer yeah, you know, right. Sure. Working at a, you know, um, like there would be no way that we could know each other other oh. than, you know, so, so I learned to keep my mouth shut a little bit. I mean, I did the same thing with Hector, you know, um, where, you know, he would have a way of approaching a problem and I would be convinced that it was completely wrong. You know, he just came into the room. So, uh, <laughs> so but I would be completely sensed that it was wrong. But he grew up in Mex- Mexico City with 
a bunch of brothers and sisters in a small apartment, you know, in Mexico City. And it's like two bedroom apartment with eight people. Yeah. Well, the only privacy you had was what was in your head. Yeah. That's your zone of privacy. And so whatever you say to anybody, they will take, you know, and that's the story. And there won't be any arguing with it or any digging because then you're going to respect their privacy in the same way. Right. And so, you say like, oh, that's so, you know, they, they whole thing about uh, Mexican people like telling lies, right? That's a very common, huh. oh, because they'd rather you be happy than have a confrontation. It's just, it's a norm. It's not even like lying. It's just like, oh, okay, I'll, I'll tell you what you want because in front of these 20 odd people, I'm not going to embarrass you and you're going to agree not to embarrass yeah, me. Sure, sure. It took me a long time to learn that. You know, so, and now I appreciate it. So, you know, you know, speaking speaking of like your story and and people's mm-hmm. stories and stories coming out, you know, making Scream Queen, you know, it, it took you a couple of years, and um, and you know, Roman and Tyler, I'm sure, have done just an amazing job with you on this. Um, they have. And the process for you was it healing? Do you still feel like you have some unresolved emotions about? Um, this this entire process, what has it been like for you, the process of making the film and now the film starting to come out and go into festivals? Tell us a bit about that. Okay, well, it, you know, first of all, it almost killed me um, making this movie, uh, making Scream Queen. And, um, you know, privately it almost killed me um, because um, I just surrendered an awful lot to be able to do this because, you know, I had made a life in Mexico, which was very private. And I had gone off the grid. My friends didn't know I was an actor. Nobody knew I was an actor. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it would pop up in the weirdest ways. You know, when I was working, you know, as a designer, like I worked in Palm beach and you're getting a taste of what Palm beach is now through president Trump and all that kind of stuff. The craziness in that town, you know what right. I mean? Uh, Je- the F- Jeffrey, F- I mean, it's very common, the insanity. But I would work in there and I worked for these very wealthy people. And, you know, they're very domineering. But at some point during every job, somebody, the man generally would come to me and he'd say, oh, I just heard, are you the star of this movie? And he would have a copy of the movie and I was meant to sign it for his children. <laughs> and, um, and then the dynamic would always change. And I became the boss. You know, Hmm. because nobody could understand how you would in our society could understand how I would be a movie star and I would walk away from it. So I must be a really powerful person if I have the the balls to walk away from all that, you know, and 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 so so that was I learned in the process of this, right, as I went on the road and all that kind of stuff. You know, I want to say about the documentary is like it started in one way. The ideas came from here and there. And I had always wanted to make a documentary about the subject. But the documentary absolutely, in every sense of the word, belongs to Roman Tyler and I. Mm-hmm. It's like I said, we were in Alabama. And, and that's right when Donald Trump said that he was, you know, the king of the Jews, that he was, you know, <laughs> whatever. And, I, and I'm in Alabama. We're showing this in Alabama, right? And so I said, well, if he's God, then we're the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. You know, I mean, <laughs> with the three of us, we're all wrapped up in one thing because we're the one, the three of us brought this message together. The movie could not have been made without Roman. It could wow. not have been made without Tyler. And it could not have been made without me. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's a, it really is a, a group 
power coming through. Sure. And uh, so I'm thrilled, you know, and I had a lot of catharsis. I learned a lot. Um, you know, when I was on the cover of uh, The Advocate, and, uh, HIV Positive Magazine, those type of things, you know, those are very powerful statements. And then when it gets picked up by CNN and you realize, you know, I never was in the closet about my HIV status. Um, not, no shame about it, certainly. Um, but when you realize the power of, you know, I looked in the, I looked in um, Wikipedia and it was like people living with HIV. Now, this was a while ago. when it was like 103 people. You know, and the mm. the latest entry was Greg Luganus. You wow. know, what I mean, it's like yeah. I was like, no, I know that there's there are like thirty four, forty million people on the planet with HIV, and like God, a good sure. hunk of them are famous. You know, and it's like, and nobody. So when I put that glove on and came out about my HIV status, well, it was something that traveled around the world. And mm-hmm. I realized in that moment, you know what I mean, that when I put that glove on, I had a tremendous amount of power. Yeah, definitely. That I had, that I had a platform, and I decided that I was going to squeeze everything out of that, that fame, that I could. And now we're in the midst of it right now. You're, we're awesome. seeing the, the fulfillment of it now. Like now, I'm now I'm out telling the story. You know, yeah. people are seeing the story, and you know, and they, you know, you sit in the theater. It's like I'm getting to the point where I can't, like literally, I can't watch it. And um, it's, uh, but you the the. The thing, the wave in the theater is just always the same. It's like this, you feel this rush of energy come over these people in the movie theater. And you understand, and you understand in that moment, I mean, Tyler especially has had some real experiences with this, of how profound it actually really is. That's and really how cool. Yeah, how healing it is for people to see their story. You know, because this is a story about any gay guy in the world, if he's being honest, Wow. Pretty much. This is his story. There's somebody that kicked you in the ass at some point. Yeah. That, you know, just humiliated you in a way that was, and this is Jesse's revenge. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> I get to go back and correct the, the record on film, you know, and I really feel like I'm doing it for a lot of different people who are now gone, who can't yeah, tell their for own sure. story. Yeah, so you'll see when you see it. I know you're going to love it. I know. Yeah. I know. No, we're definitely... I, I've been following the production of it for, you know, a number of years. I think you guys announced your um, Kickstarter maybe 2010-ish. Does that sound right? Yeah. Well, no, no I think... No, it couldn't have been that because it's 2019 now, isn't it? I think we did that Kickstarter four years ago. Okay, yeah. okay. Yeah, the, I the, the time frame is about, it's about four years. Four and a half okay. years is what it took us to make it. Yeah, three. Well, Jack told us when we first started that it would take three years to make it i being a naive fool thought to myself you idiot you know we'll have this like, done in nine months it'll take six weeks it'll take six weeks and ten thousand dollars and i'll be getting an academy award and, <laughs> and now you know a million dollars later and um metaphorically but really close sure. to there um and you know a number of years later here we are you know and we will end up in 2020 that'll be the when we cross the finish line that's really so, cool. Congratulations yeah, on that, by the way. Seriously, I'm taking a bow right now. In my <laughs> and so you know, we've Anything learned in um, we've learned in doing our show, and we've been doing our show for just about two years now, and um, we've we've had so much fun connecting with LGBT people that are horror fans, you know, all around the world, and we've really come mm-hmm. to learn 
uh, in our time doing this show and, and in community with all of those fans who, trust me, are going to love the fuck out of this interview also, by the way. Um, but we've oh, learned... Yeah, totally. And we've, we've learned really that LGBT people are particularly drawn to the horror genre. And, you know, Andrew and I, of course, have some thoughts about that, but our fans hear from us all the time. And so they... I, I, I'm wondering, you know, what you think. Why... Why do you think horror as a genre and LGBT people, why do they go together so well? What about the two things just seem to mesh? Well, there's this fabulous boy in Scream Queen, My Nightmare on Elm Street that like sums it up. And it, I, I'm going to tell you what he says, but because it, it's, you'll cry when you see it anyway. But <laughs> he says, you know, he goes, you know, like the horror films are like, like we went through, or like especially say Nightmare on Elm Street, or what we gay people went through every day when we went to school. Mm-hmm. You know, there was the bully. And he said, and you know, in the end, he goes, he, he wanted to be in the movie, but he always wanted to be her. He wanted to be the final girl because he wanted to be the one to beat up the bully. He wanted to be the one to kick Freddie's ass. Right. And that's when then they talk about Jesse, you know, yeah. but I think that's what it is. I mean, I really do think that you go into this, you know, it, it gives you the power because it's like we talk about this a lot in the film about how why a f- final boy at that time didn't work. For a lot of people, and it really wasn't about homosexuality, it's about gender, because what has to happen in a in a boy movie, what happens with a girl? We have a nice psychiatrist who talks about this psychologist teacher who talks about it. Is like the the girl has to like sort of grow a phallus. She has to pick up the phallus to kill him. She has to get a dick. She has to become masculine. Hmm. And all those final girls are kind of masculine, if you notice. They're on the masculine side. Whereas I'm on the feminine side, right? And people just would not accept a boy ever losing his penis or ever happen to grow a new one, right? You know, a new set of balls to kill somebody. So, uh, so I think that that's what it is because that girl, you know, in the horror movies, that final girl, she gets a set and she stands up to the bully. You know what I mean? And I think that gay people experience that a lot. And it's like uh, one of the things that I love about Nightmare on Elm Street so much, Freddy's Revenge, is that like. A lot of gay people, a lot of gay boys and girls, strangely enough, saw themselves in that movie for the first time. Sure. You know, they saw Jesse and it wasn't Nancy, it was Jesse. And they recognized him. You know, they were like, because they recognized themselves. They were like, oh my God, that's me. Yeah, of course. You know, and just hopefully, you know, that he'll make it through this, that he'll live through it. You know, that he won't be a victim, you know, and he wasn't. So there you go. That's awesome. Um, so we, we've been doing some research, you know, leading up to this interview, and we listened to uh, a 2017 interview you did with Elm Street Radio. Um, yeah. And uh, there, there was a line in there when you're talking about um, kind of doing the convention circuit um, that you said, you know, sometimes it's heartbreaking. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, as an LGBT person, you know, the, and you've been very outspoken the last couple of years um, while making the documentary, you know, you're kind of a little bit of a hero for some of us, you know, that you're taking back what was yours. Um, how has that convention circuit been for you? Can you tell us what it's like to be meeting your fans and hearing their stories? And even if you've met, been met with any negativity through that as well? Well, it's funny because, you know, the conventions are changing now, right? So um, most of the conventions are run by um by straight guys Mm -hmm. who 
you know, like fetishized the girl. Oh, big time. And the and the monster, right? So when I first started coming back into these things, you know, there were people that would like say to me, basically, what are you doing here? You know, nobody likes this movie. And, um, and they would get Kim's autograph and not get mine or, you know, just little digs like that, which were really interesting. And then I began to realize that people would say things to me, like they would whisper to me, like, uh, I remember one particular guy going, I'm rainbow. (laughs) And I was like, like, this was in Wisconsin. So he's like, I'm rainbow. But he didn't want anybody to know he was gay there because the conventions at that time were homophobic. And I had made it an agenda to make it safe. Mm-hmm. For, so I just barreled right in. I, the way I'm talking to you, that's the way I talk to my panels. I talk to yeah. me, <laughs> blah, blah, blah. You know, I just spit it all out there. And I scream for money, you know, which is the nice. forever <laughs> project. You know, it's like, if you want to hear me scream, it'll cost $500. And they're like, ah, and I wanted a dollar at a time. You know, and you have to bring it to me. And I would tell people, look, now you can never say that you don't know a gay person again. And right. you can't say that you don't know somebody with HIV because you know me. Yeah. And then they would begin to tell me their secrets. Oh, my uncle died of AIDS. Um, my uncle moved away 25 years ago. My, I'm a lesbian and I lost my children. And, you know, and now if you go to the conventions, it's totally different things going on there. Yeah, for and, sure. And actually now the conventions are being taken over and it's like interesting, like by people like RuPaul, Peaches Christ, blah, blah, blah. Those Mm -hmm. kind of people are getting convention deals because people want to go and see drag queens now. Yeah. As well as horror. You know what I mean? And the vibe has changed completely. And it's like some of these old dudes are like not having it. Like there's one guy that like insisted that I call him. This was in Texas that I was supposed to call him and he wanted to have me in his show, but he had to speak to me face, which is not, you don't do that. You know what I mean? It's like, (laughs) you like invite me, I accept, but but he was going to interview me. And I just like, I wasn't fucking having any of it. (laughs) And then it's like, well, I don't, I don't want you at my show. If you can't, it's like, dude, I don't, First of all, I don't know you and I don't need shows are not a need for me. Yeah. You know, they're, they're a want and I'm not going to be, a, you know, uh, I'm not going to be interviewed for your thing. Yeah. You know, cause a lot of the people in the shows, it's very interesting. It's really interesting cause it's a great dynamic. Like you have a show in Chicago that is very well known for being, it's considered a very homophobic place. Right. Hmm. Yeah. And, um, you know, and therefore I've never been invited to that show. Right. And and there's no, nobody can ever understand why, you know, it's like they've had every other Elm street person in the world. Right. But they never invite me. And I, one time I reached out to them and thinking, well, they just don't know I'm in the business or whatever. I was kind of naive at the time. And they were like, Oh, we know who you are. We, we pay attention to you there's just no room for you this year. And there's Jeez, never been that is a room. bunch of bullshit. Yeah, and there's never been any room for me in Calgary, and there's never been any room. You know, there's certain little pods where you're never going to go. You know, and it's whether they don't like the movie itself, or they just don't like the homo thing, or whatever it is they don't like. But I have a firm, you know, I have a firm rule in my life. I don't go to any party where I'm not invited. You know, yeah, I don't. For sure. I don't want to go to their party. I'm going to be coming to Chicago and having a little party of my own. 
Yeah, and, you don't you don't and need it, it. And it's a, and it's a <laughs> VIP ticket, honey. If you yeah. if you can get in, you're a lucky person. So, and I I don't want to disparage those people, but I know that there's a lot of things that have come up and been passed through the that they have racial problems and they have uh, you know um, sexual problems. So yeah, it's sure. like if you don't want black people to come to your show, well, you're you're foolish, especially in Chicago. You know, it's like, wow, you just cut out half your the half the population. <laughs> exactly. You know, so so whatever. I mean, and I don't like I said, I don't want to really discourage them or whatever, but it's just like it just seems weird to me. And I faced a lot of that. And uh, and then it's left for me to decide what's the reason. Yeah. And I decided, you know, later in my life to not decide what the reason is. Just say I leave them to themselves, and uh, and I just move forward with my agenda, which is I want to have a good time, I want to meet the fans, and I love that, and uh, and I try not to be involved in the BS of behind the scenes because you know these are basically like there are there are a lot of old horror stars, right? Yeah, and some are broke, and some are rich, and some are poor, and some are washed up, and some are not, and there's a lot of ego in there. You know, oh yeah, yeah, and, for sure. And and some of the people, you know, they really need it. You know what I mean? And I'm not taking it away from. There's people in there that genuinely need it to stay. Oh yeah, alive. of course. And you know, I mean, they, they need the money and they need the strokes and all of it. You know, and they say, "God bless you," because you earned this. You know, you yeah. earned your seat at this table. If you're like old ladies will come in many times. It's always like some buddy has brought their mother or she paid their way in and she'll always say oh you know i never watch these movies and i don't know who you are or anything you know, like <laughs> you know, blah 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 and i always say to them i break it down really easy well the thing is you paid to get in here and i'm sitting behind a table and you're standing in front of it and you're supposed <laughs> to pay me to for my autographs so that means i'm somebody so get on your google and <laughs> look figure me out. up but, but don't stand here and insult me yeah exactly right move on by girl move on Totally. I know you're used to being the center of attention, but you don't get to do it today. And hey, so. you know, Mark, too, we, we've got a lot of fans um, that are younger LGBT folks. You know, uh-huh. uh, Andrew and I are both in our, we're both in our later 30s now, which oh, is strange sh- to us. Why, um, but but there I was are... Thinking about that la- I was thinking about that the other night. Like when <laughs> I, I was dating a 30-year-old once, and I remember we had long discussions with my friends about sure. if it was okay for me to be dating an older man. And, <laughs> And I remember I had that trauma, but honey, you're still babies. So Yay, thank you. Thank you for that. telling us that. But for real though, we have some serious babies that listen to our show and we love them all. Um, and I think, you know, we, we know a bit of your story because, you know, we've, we've, um, we've listened to interviews with you. We've, we've seen you in, in other, in other media. Um, and of course we, you know, we're ready for, for the documentary to come out, but we know a little bit about your life, but you know, for some of our youngsters that, that don't know about your life and what it was like to be coming up as gay in the eighties, um, especially as an actor, you know, because you, you weren't able to be out in, in a, in a, in an age where you weren't able to be out in general. Right. I mean, what was, what was that like? How did that form you? How did that, how did that form who you are today as Mark Patton? Not, not Mark Patton, Jesse Walsh, but you, Mark Patton, you as a, as a human being, how has that made you who you are as this beautiful person today? Oh, thank you. That's so sweet of you to say that. You know, the thing is, it's like, it's what you, the, the point that you made is really pertinent. And, you know, it was, I was out in my personal life. And, uh, you know, I had a lover who was in show business also. Um, we went to very many industry parties that were, 
you know, after hours, you know, that were filled with gay men. Right. Um, and, uh, but you weren't allowed to be out publicly. You know what I mean? So, and most specifically, actors um, could not be out. You know, it's like if you were a director or a hairdresser or a makeup artist or a set builder or writer, any of those things, you could be gay, but you couldn't be an actor and be gay. And and there was a whole lot of people who gave you a whole lot of reasons why you needed to keep your mouth shut. So there was your agent and the press people and the casting directors, especially very super toxic. And most of those people who were telling you this were gay, right? They were like, Oh no, you know, and they were rejecting their own uh, self hate onto you and onto everybody else. And, you know, Dustin, going back to, we were talking about Dustin a little bit. It's like, he says, you know, it's like Ryan Murphy, all those people that are coming up right now, right? Mm-hmm. They, the studio doesn't get, doesn't care yeah. what the sexuality of the actor. Right. The director doesn't care. Nobody cares. Sure. Except for the agents. Wow. And the agents are the ones that tell people, like, Connor Jessup is a favorite of mine because he, he, you know, is Closet Monster. I was talking about that. Mm-hmm. And, um, and he's a, an American... Um, What's the name of the show? It was so great. It's called uh, uh, American Horror uh, Story. No, but the other mm-hmm. one, American Justice or something like that. American Crime Story. Oh yeah, American yes, Crime Story. And, and American yes, Crime duh. Story ABC, mm-hmm. which is a totally different deal. And that's him. There's a repertory company, Lily Taylor. Um, oh, it's amazing. It's been on four seasons, and you watch it. I mean, it's amazing. There's one about two gay boys in a private school that is, uh, you know, it's like nine-story arc. They're yeah. great. This kid is fabulous. He's a fabulous actor. And on his 25th birthday, he came out. Wow. Because he had done so many interviews where he almost always plays gay people right. or are softer boys. And, um, and he said, you know, I got tired of answering those questions, you know, like, you know, beating around the bush. And, you know, it's like, it just became so wearying. And of course his agents told him not to. And, you know, and he's doing fabulous and he's going to go ahead and do fabulous. It's the same thing with, uh, Timothy, uh, Chalamet. Absolutely. You know what I mean? Like somebody stood up in a, um, um, a thing where filming that we had and said to me, Timothy Chalamet and you same energy. Huh. And that's the only thing that, like, that's the only regret that I have is I wish that I could have utilized what I had then mm-hmm. in an environment like now. Wow. You know, because whenever, because this, you know, like, for the young people, I, like, I never got the opportunity to act as myself, you know, because um, by the time that I had pretended to be somebody else for the casting director, and then pretended to be somebody else all the way through filming until the film starts. And then I learned my lesson very young, you know, there's an, um, when they were filming ordinary people, mm-hmm. the original star of ordinary people, if you've never seen that movie, kiddies go and see it. It's, it's, I oh, definitely have seen that movie. <laughs> um, I mean, for your young folks. And then, um, but Timothy Hutton wasn't the star of that hmm. movie. Dennis Christopher was, and they filmed for three days and they fired it. And the reason they fired him is because they left the camera on, right? And he didn't know they left the camera on. 
So he's doing this, you know, he's doing his acting, but then they leave the camera on when he, and they're observing him when he doesn't know it. Oh, wow. And his agent said, why? It said, why? The Russians are beautiful. I mean, he's amazing. Don't you think he's amazing? And they're like, oh, absolutely. He's amazing in the film, but we don't like him as him. Oh, wow. And so they wow. fired him. So that you was determined learn. by his pilot, private life. Jeez. Yes. And I think the same thing happened to a number of different actors that I could tell you about, but they're still in the closet. So I won't tell their story. But you learn very early that you could trust no one. Yeah. You know, that no, no one's really, no one's looking out for you. They're just looking out for what's going to make them the most money. And it, it doesn't matter what happens for you. Yes. And I, and I, and I hate it all. And I mean, and I feel sorry for young people today because it's even yeah. more toxic now than it is. It's toxic. Like you get to be out now, right? Which is yeah. great. And I think that's fantastic. And at a younger age than ever, I think. Oh, yeah. I mean, like these kids who are coming out like when they're 12 or 13 <laughs> and they're movie stars and they're like, yeah. you know, le- leading social justice teams. I'm saying like really great. But then those kids get snagged, right? Mm-hmm. They get snagged on a videotape or on a cell phone uh, where somebody's going to try to come in and destroy their life. Yeah. Of course, yeah. I mean, you saw that happen to Tom Daly, and it was so horrible. It's, just, it's so it's, sad. And it's it's, it's It's just ridiculous when people dox and, and try to betray your your own private life like that. Like, just, you right. know, one, one day... Who, like, have, have sex with them. Yeah, you and, know? you know, one day it will come back to you if you, if you do that oh, kind I, of shit. It's just the worst thing in the world. One of the worst my things. Niece, my, my niece says to me now, because I she's she's an art student and she's a professional painter now but she's like i she she had some photographer friends and they'd taken a picture of her and it wasn't obscene in any way but i just felt like it could be cut in certain yeah. ways it would look you know and i said something to her and she's like oh uncle mark you know it's <laughs> like that's all white noise now <laughs> everybody's got their naked pictures out there somewhere you know, right. so it's going to come home to roost for everybody at some point and it'll all speaking just of grinder <laughs> exactly so we're on our grinder part of our day so uh but yeah so you know it's like but i that that water is very testy and i feel you know a lot of compassion for kids who have to mature as gay people in the public eye because it's yeah. a it's a road because you know, like I always thought, Molly Miley Cyrus was really great. Like you know, she like she went through her Molly period. You know, she's not ashamed of it. You know, she's like just sure. full on. You know, club hoe, and then um, then she was um, also, um, you know, and then she got married, and now she's getting a divorce, and she just lives it all out loud. So yeah, and she doesn't let it shame her. No apologies. No apologies no. needed. <laughs> No, no, I love her. So she's my, she's my spirit animal. I think my little spirit animal. <laughs> she was married to my husband, but yeah, um, now they're divorced. So <laughs> anyway, so yeah, well, to the young people, it was like different. It was very different. But you've got your own journeys. But I do want to say to your young people out there, which is really, really important, yeah. is uh, come and see my movie first of all, <laughs> and uh, and not for the money, but for the teaching. Yeah, for and then sure. show it to your friend because you don't know, you know, like when you're going down to the courthouse and you're getting married now. You really, truly, if you're under 25, you don't know what that cost. Yeah, and that cost dead people laying in the street. Mm-hmm. We that got for sure. right. We got killed over this stuff. You know, I mean, it was as serious as like, you know, you can't really imagine taking a turn for the. 
the dark for the end. It's like, you know, to watch a, a Holocaust happen. Yeah. And for nobody to mention it. Mm-hmm. For your president not to say anything. For your, you know, like literally said nothing. And, you know, your friends are dying in the street. They're 25 years old, 26, 27, 22. And you're burying people every week. And nobody's mentioning it. It's like it doesn't matter. And there's nothing more violent than not being heard or seen. You know, I'd rather be tortured than since, oh, it's not happening. It doesn't apply to us. So I want them to know that story because, because I'm not a doomsday person. But I will tell you, it could all happen again. Totally. And, and so forewarned is forearmed. You know, your elders, they have some tools in their bag that would be very helpful for you, for you to carry around with you. You know, just in case you need them. You yep. know? And you might not. And hopefully you won't. But just in case you do, you're, you'll be fine. You know, because you'll know how to get through the situation. And I want them to see that movie for that because it's a great teaching tool. Tool. It would be a nice curriculum piece. Scream Queen would be a nice curriculum piece. And will be already, I know, for queer theory, uh, queer study programs in colleges. But I'd like younger people to see it too. So, I mean, we've already been invited into many syllabuses. But um, I'd like young people to be able to see this. And since it's called Scream Queen, My Nightmare on Elm Street, their parents might just let them go and watch it. <laughs> I have no idea what it's about. So it's about Freddy Krueger. So can I go and see it, Mommy and Daddy? Yeah. <laughs> and I say, yeah, go and see that horror movie. You can see people get murdered. It doesn't bother me. Right. So, <laughs> yeah, so that's that. That's that. Yeah. Well, I'm it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a blast. Uh, number one, to meet you in person when you're here, because that's going to be so much fun, of course, and to see the, and to see the new documentary. And Mark, if you wanted to leave our listeners with one last thing to know about Scream Queen and why should, why they should go see it, what would it be? Because I need the money. <laughs> <laughs> you heard it here well, first. I, well, we own it. You know? <laughs> so we were smart boys. We own the thing. So please come and sure, see it for that sure. reason. But I would say, you know, the one thing I would like to leave you with, and it's like whether it's Scream Queen or just in life, is, um, you know, we live in a horrible time. And we live in a very polarized time where everybody thinks they know the truth. And I've started practicing this little thing that I try to do. Like, I'm not religious or any, I don't go to church mm-hmm. or those kind of things. But I do remember from church, the part of it that I really liked was when they would say, like, peace be with you. Mm-hmm. You know, and then the person would say. And uh, also with you. Uh, that's right. Well, I try to, when I find people, I try to do that every day to people. Yeah. I don't say those words, but I throw that intention at them and especially people that i don't understand and i don't like yeah because i think they really need it you know and um and so that i that was what i'd leave them with I, i'd leave them with peace be with you oh awesome but they say it right back to me so, <laughs> well it. um mark we want to we really appreciate you taking the time i just want to plug a few things that we're going to be doing um in the next month or so with you Okay. Um, so I know that on the 28th, um, if you want to come down to cell block, um, on three, seven, zero two North Halstead from seven thirty to 10, um, Mark will be there. We'll be doing some question and answers. Your hosts will be part of the panel. Um, yeah. and we'll be, we'll be doing some raffles and there's gonna be a drag show. It's gonna be a lot of fun. So definitely come out. Um, you can find details on that by just searching cell block on, uh, Facebook or going to their website, cellblock, uh, CA. And folks, if you have not been to Cellblock before, this is one of Chicago's legendary leather bars. So 
get up, put put on put on something, and and come on <laughs> down. Strap yourself in. Strap yourself in. <laughs> Because you know what? You're going to have fun. It's going to be a great time. You'll get to meet Mark Patton himself, of course, too. So it's going to be a wonderful evening. Like Andrew said, September 28th. It's a Saturday from 730 to 10. Um, and this is benefiting the AIDS run and walk. So there could be no better charity for this. Yeah, for sure. Um, and then, of course, your movie, Scream Queen, uh, will be the finale film at the Reeling Film Festival uh, here in Chicago on the 29th at 6 p.m. So if there are still tickets available, definitely get on that but it's not our fault if there's not (laughs) right right. demand a second showing like we'll talk to them i'm really hoping that they do because i really feel like it'll probably my my who knows just call them and try to get a ticket we need to put you in touch with our people over at the music box theater that would be an amazing venue for that and 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 let's and let's make a plan boys and girls to do what we said and bring it back if we need to we'll just swing back around and and put another showing in someplace else We'll and do it all over again. Without a doubt. We'll do it Mark, one more we will, time. We will see you on the 28th and 29th. Thanks once again for being with us. Thanks again to all of our listeners for our Friday the 13th Horror Podcast. And as always, we remind you to come with us and get... Get slayed. slayed.